You want to do the intro? You're so good at it. Am I good at it? I never. Yes, like you are. Oh my god, yes, you are. Oh, <laughs> I, I got about halfway through. Uh, I got about halfway through the other um, our first recording, and I was like, I love the zest that you did with "Welcome to Absolute Destiny" a podcast. It was so good. <laughs> well, welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. Um, this is a show where we uh, watch all of the episodes of Revolutionary Girl Utena in order and give our feedback and review them. I am Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And the trick here is that Chesney has never seen this series before. I am a super fan. She is brand new. And so we are getting her fresh hot takes on this series as we go along. And there are some, I I imagine there will be definitely some hot takes. <laughs> maybe not maybe not as many for this episode but definitely uh i would imagine there should be some going forward so we are doing this in order if you want to go back to the beginning and start with episode one uh, feel free to do that we encourage you to listen or to watch along with us as you listen um if you somehow don't know what the show is again welcome hello i don't know how you found us but uh, go check out the series itself. Um, it is a fantastic anime from the 90s. And there is a reason why the fandom has been what it is for the last 20 years. And it's been a great ride so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two episodes in, but it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, that's the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is episode two, For Whom the Rose Smiles. And we even had comments on the intro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got to talk about the title, first of all, and how we both went in two completely different directions with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So since yours is far less, uh, far less sexual, how about you give <laughs> your, your interpretation first? Sure. So... Uh, I can't even like, I just keep getting them intertwined. I can barely even separate it in my mind because I want to say for whom the bell tolls instead of for who the, whom the rose smiles. Um, <laughs> which is funny because I mean, spoiler alert, nothing like deadly happened in this episode. Uh, I would argue nothing like earth shattering. Well, okay. For, for one character or something earth shattering happened, <laughs> but, um, but nothing like nobody died, nobody was seriously injured. So you would think it's like, I don't know, there'd be some sort of ominous calling. And maybe it's just in the subtext, you know, it's a more of a subtlety nod. Um, but yeah, For Whom the Bell Tolls was my reference that I got. Yeah, you so, went <laughs> way darker with that. Like, I, I mean, I've seen the show so many times, like I can't quite reach where your mind went there <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wait what would have happened here like what disaster could have befallen everybody um <laughs> i mean granted it's a sword fight and so like a sword injury obviously could have happened but i don't know for whom the bell tolls feels like a very different energy from for whom the rose smiles <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> uh, and it's much different from the vibe that you <laughs> that you get from the title too. 
Oh, yeah, no. When I hear the words, for whom the rose smiles, I think of a vagina. Like, that's it. That, that's all there is to it. I see a Georgia O'Keeffe painting, and that is where my mind immediately goes. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> so, and again, like, with the opening, um, it, we have that moment where the two main characters, like, nearly kiss and it's right there in the opening how gay this show is <laughs> it um, is right there but you know oh gosh i want to talk about it already but it's it's something that i noticed all the way at the end um but i can go ahead and say a little bit of it here utena doesn't call anthe anthe she calls her Himamiya right now. So like we are so far in the beginning stages to me at least of their relationship to like see that in the intro is like whiplash almost. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I'm here for it but like they're the characters themselves aren't there yet. Yeah, for sure. Um so we <laughs> We get this moment at the very beginning of the episode where there is this triumphant score. Um, they're playing the Otori Academy theme and it is, it's a march and, and we have this sweeping shot of the Academy itself. Um, and this time we do get what, what you were looking for in that first episode all the girls are just fawning over Utena. Yep. It was, <laughs> it was great. It gave me uh, very Oren High School Host Club vibes, <laughs> especially with like the rose framing. I was like, oh, this, uh, well, Oren High School Host Club might have taken cues from this episode. Oren High School Host Club absolutely takes a lot from this show. I love uh, that. Like, like you. <laughs> It, once you've seen this show, you'll be able to see like the moments that there's some definite inspiration. Um, also, good to know that you've seen that show because that is, I, I, if you like that, you'll like this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oren was one of my favorites, um, especially when I was in uh, high school and like the very beginning of college. It was one of my favorite animes for sure. Still is. So this moment here with the girls blushing, like I, I want to focus on it for a minute for one simple reason. It is how I got into the show. And I know that that's not like where your head's at, but <laughs> go with me for a second. Um, so TV tropes, if you somehow don't know what tvtropes.com is, it is a, a site that lists like a bunch of different tropes that appear in media. and. At the bottom of each trope page is a list of all of the, um, like as many shows, movies, video games, whatever, uh, that include that trope. And this one is so hot, even the girls want her. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that stands out to me is that that is how I discovered this show is that trope page. Wow. But yeah. Yeah. So like I clicked on it and I realized, 
oh, that's what this show is. Because I had actually seen it before. And I had forgotten I had seen this show before. And like, that's oh, wow. what brought me back around and like, like connected that those like, like Doc Brown at the end of Back to the Future, like connecting the cables. Like, like it was that <laughs> big of a revelation. Like, wait a minute. I know this show, uh, but I had never known the name of it. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and so like, that's how I, I not discovered, but rediscovered this show. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, like it was wild. Um, and this was like, God, 15 years ago now. What is time? Time is an illusion. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the other thing, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go for it. I was going to say the other thing that we can talk about that's a callback to the last episode is there were fucking desks. <laughs> yes, yes. We saw desks for the first time, like real actual classroom desks. Um, we still don't have another adult in the show. No. <laughs> but now we know that Otori Academy actually does have classrooms with desks. <laughs> I, I feel like on this show we should just like keep a running tally of like which episodes have desks in them right which episodes have actual school content in them oh zero like there's not gonna be any of that <laughs> <laughs> well well yeah we'll have to do some reaching like at okay least, this like, episode had desks. in a school <laughs> right <laughs> which episodes are pretending at least that they're about a school <laughs> And so we get like this brief recap of the previous episode with uh, with Wakaba. Oh, bless. And like the awful shit that happened to her with Sionji. And so she is reading Magnolia Waltz, which like I tried to look this up. I think it's like a piano arrangement, but it's also a manga by Chiha Saito, who is... Oh. The- manga writer for um, the manga of Revolutionary Girl Utena. An artist, oh. rather. Um, yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to ask you, is if that was real or not. Like, that can't be accidental, right? Like, <laughs> No, like, there's no way. Um, she wrote it in 1994, so the show is 1997. It's clearly a reference, right? Like, I never read it, though, so I don't know if Wakaba is actually describing the manga or if like there's another book or an opera or something that she is talking about. Um, if you're listening and you know the answer to that, please feel free to write into us and, and, and tell us the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> but uh, in that same moment, we have again, Wakaba calling Utena her true love and Utena being very uncomfortable with that. Which is, it's so interesting for her. Well, I don't know. It's interesting to her, for her to be uncomfortable with that because she's, I, mean, I don't know. She seemed okay with the attention she was getting at the very beginning of the episode from the random girls. Like, oh yeah, blushing. But it wasn't like uncomfortable. You know what I mean? At least that's yeah. not the vibe that I got. Yeah, like, I guess my thinking on it is, like, if you think back to high school 
and how like who are the people who are the most comfortable with their sexuality the ones who know for certain like where they fall right and if you're if you're a closeted bisexual <laughs> yeah someone of the same gender showing affection toward you can make you very uncomfortable <laughs> because then fair. you have feelings <laughs> <laughs> fair so like we've got wakaba who like i i hate to say it like is so straight like she is so straight she can say <laughs> utana is her true love without it even phasing her because for her those feelings aren't real for utena who over the course of the show definitely grapples with her sexuality yeah you know like that's gonna touch a nerve yeah yeah it does seem just very playful from wakaba not really anything. It honestly seems like she reaches for that in moments of their friendship when they both need some levity. So it's almost like she's intuitively making herself the, I don't know, not really making herself the joke, but kind of. So like she's rescuing uh, the two of them from the awkwardness of, of remembering what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. exactly it. Yeah. I can see that. So interesting. So then we have the elevator ride with the uh, the student council. Mm-hmm. And uh, the student council has this speech. And it's kind of like a mantra that they repeat every time that they are ascending uh, the tower to meet. Um, if the eggshell does not break, the chick will die without being born. We are the chick. The egg is the world. If the world's shell does not break, we will die without being born. Break the world's shell. It and... is the most angsty teenagery thing that they could say. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> it's so melodramatic. For me, it's like the equivalent of them saying, it's the equivalent of the mentality of if we don't get out, we've got to get out of here. You know, if we can just make it through high school and we've got to break out of here. It's that kind of mentality. <laughs> Giving me very like emo scene kid vibes. <laughs> uh, you know, like that music, <laughs> that music scene they talk a lot about. And I listen to this um, growing up as well. So I can talk about it some. But um, a lot of that music talks about like, I just got to get out of this town. I just got to break away. So, yeah, that's <laughs> the the student council is giving me very um, emo scene kid vibes this episode. OK, it's a Herman Hess quote and oh. or rather it's a, a reinterpretation of a Herman Hess quote from uh, something called a, a book called Demian. OK, and like the Herman Hess quote goes uh, the bird fights its way out of the egg. The egg is the world. Uh, who would be born must first destroy a world. The bird flies to God. That God's name is Abraxas. So I like it feels very much like um, something that like the writers had read. Like one of them had read this and um, inserted it in here because and like put a twist on it. And inserted mm-hmm. it into the show. Um, I'm not familiar with 
the original work that it's from, but like that's where where that one comes from. It's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to like <laughs> that's a lot to digest. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, like I like I, I try to think about like where I was in high school and like if I was on a student council. And then like we had this like creepy mantra that we were repeated like almost like intoned every time before meeting (laughs) oh my gosh yeah so it it speaks to that same concept of of revolution and we still don't Mm. know what that means no they 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 talk about the power to revolutionize the world and cracking the world's shell um but we still don't know what that means Mm -mm. and then they also talk about the end of the world, but they make it seem like it is a person or group of people that they get one-way messages from, almost like receiving a prophecy of some sort. Yeah, so, they all get these letters. Yeah. And and supposedly all of them got their rings from the end of the world also. Uh-huh. I, I, I want to ask you, as someone who is totally new to this, what do you think the power to revolutionize the world is. Mm. <clears throat> okay. This is obviously not what it is, but here's my initial feelings from watching this episode. My knee jerk reaction was, Oh, these kids are getting played. Okay. Like these kids are getting played right now <laughs> because to me, and again, this is just my own perspective on it, but to me, having some being, I'm not even going to say human, but having some being that's out there pulling the strings, sending them little messages and like hints along the way of what's going to happen and then it comes true so they believe. Um, <clears throat> to me, it just seems like it really just feels like this Dios guy is just like playing them like a fiddle. Like they're, he's stacking up all the dominoes and then just watching them fall because okay. it's just, it's just going along exactly as planned and they seem completely fine with it. And in fact, when it goes as planned, they're more inclined to believe. And I'm, I'm just like, oh God, this is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> so we got like this cult vibe going on. Uh-huh. Yeah, very, very much cult vibes from the episode today. (laughs) But that's like my put on the tinfoil hat. (laughs) (laughs) And like the SpongeBob like bubble pipe, you know, that's that's my (laughs) that's my tinfoil hat. (laughs) Charlie, Charlie at the Bolton board with like the red string connecting all the dots. Exactly. That that's that one for me. Oh, <laughs> okay. But it's it is interesting, and I still do just get the feeling from the way everything's been set up so far that um, it is being guided by an unseen force. It's most likely Dios. I keep wanting to call him Dio, but. <laughs> It's most likely <laughs> D. God dang it. I, of course, I watched uh, JoJo's before this, but um, 
yeah, it seems like they're just being guided along almost their entire lives by Dios. Which we still don't really know anything about. But yeah. Could be a deity, could be a human that's just like, I don't know, playing the cards and rolling fate die or whatever, but... Um, so wait, are, are you saying that you think that the end of the world and Dios are, are the same? I think so. Is that so. what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, I think they are the same. If they're not the same, then it would be some sort of situation like um, the fates in Greek mythology uh, where they're like um, you'll used as like a, a mouthpiece of some kind that's directly tied to something else. Oh, okay. So that, those are my theories for the end of the world. It's either Dios himself, who's like completely playing them like a fiddle. Um, or it's like some sort of uh, Greek mythology fates, like three sisters type deal. Uh, that's re- relaying the messages of Dios, like Oracle to prophecy type thing. Okay. We'll see how that plays out for you. Mm-hmm. One of the things to to note, like every time the council meets, they're going to be doing something different. This time they're playing cards. Okay. And it's always silly. It's always just like something that the animators have them doing. I, I'm sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere if you want to dig for it. I don't see one. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but they are, there is like one pertinent piece of information that comes out about it all, which is that uh, Utena's presence is unprecedented. Like the fact that she is a duelist and has won a duel and isn't on the student council is eating away at some of them. But it was a message from the end of the world though, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he or it or whatever it is definitely says, yeah, she's allowed to be here. Yeah. Buckle up. She's one of the duelists now. I, I think what's more interesting is just the way that it cuts at their confidence as uh, student council members. We're like, oh, we're the student council and we're the duelists. <laughs> we are as high as this gets. And then here comes this girl who isn't a student council member and uh, puts one of them in the dirt, you know, <laughs> like, and so, yeah, they're, they're shook. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that this episode. Yeah. Um, speaking of shook, mm-hmm. uh, Utena shows up at the East dorm, which she says has been unused for, or Wakaba says has been unused for 10 years. And, she is the only student who is housed in that dorm. <laughs> There's this fake out moment where she opens the door the first time and there is a mouse eating cheese and it is this dilapidated room. And like the ceiling is about to fall in. There are chunks from the ceiling missing, <laughs> like doors and windows are boarded up. There's like rubble everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like time. way more than like way more than ten years had passed in that room, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that, that's like a forty-year-old room that's been abandoned. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh. 
Um, but then it's revealed that that is her imagination or maybe it's her imagination. Like it's not clear from the shot exactly how that played out, but then she opens the door a second time and there's Anthe in a maid outfit cleaning. Yeah. And I'm just going to say, put a pin in that about the ambiguity of that scene. Okay. Because like we've already talked about it elsewhere in like the first episode where things at a Tory Academy have like a magical real quality to them. And so like these moments where had it been any other show, had this been just like a, a regular slice of life anime, like the obvious interpretation of that scene would be that's just her imagination. And then we're using some movie magic to cut back and reveal so-called what really happened. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. What if Anthe's just a ghost this whole time? What if she's the one haunting the building? Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. I'm not going to say <laughs> anything. <laughs> because they made this whole big deal. Well, I say they, but Wakaba and Utena made this uh, whole commotion about like, oh, it's so old. What if it's haunted? You know, that kind of thing. And then the first shot we get is, like you said, her opening the door, it's rubble, and then it cuts back. She opens the door and there's Anthe. And not only that, Anthe has written her name (laughs) under (laughs) Utena's name placard. She just copied it in like Sharpie and wrote (laughs) underneath it. That absolutely cracked me up. But yeah, Wakaba seemed to think that um, well, I guess Utena maybe implied that she would like, oh, am I living there alone? And then, yeah, Anthe shows up. But that is interesting. And now I will add that to my other um, crackpot tinfoil hat theories <laughs> that Anthe is just a ghost all along. <laughs> we have this moment with um, the conversation about the rules. And Anthe is revealing that she was assigned here because of the rules, the rules of the dueling, where if she if Utena wins, she's engaged to Utena, and they, of course, live together. Mm-hmm. It's not clear whether she was living with Sionji. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to dwell on that. We can dwell on that question if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm fine with moving that forward, too. All, All they right. said was they were engaged, so we're cool with that. I mean, we're not, but you know, we can move on from there. <laughs> so, uh, Utena, for the first time, like openly questions to Anthe, why are you cool with this? Like, why are you okay with being the Rose Bride? And right. Anthe, to her credit, like turns the question back at Utena, asking her about, like, why do you wear a boy's uniform? And so we get like a hint that Anthe has some agency in, in this scenario. We don't know how much yet. Like, we don't know where the lines are with that, but she is expressing some agency here. And I feel like it's important to remember that piece at the same time as we question what she puts up with in this role and, like, what factors may be leading into thinking she maybe has to continue doing this. I didn't expect her to say that. I didn't expect her to say that she likes being the Rose Bride. I honestly didn't think she would say anything at all. So 
it's interesting and I'm glad that she does at least have some agency or choice in it. But it's just, it's interesting. That's all I can say about it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the big mystery, right? Like, why would this yeah. girl put up with this? And the other piece is it shows that, like, she's clearly conscious. Like, she's not, like, a magically possessed robot, you know? Like, she's aware of what's going on and her role in all of this. Yeah. Oh, the other piece I was going to say in the conversation about is Anthe a ghost is, is Anthe even a student at the school? Is she a student? Is she a, is she a caretaker? Because all we ever do is see, well, so far is see her take care of the grounds clean and be the Rose bride. Like that's fair. You don't really, that, that's a fair question to ask. You don't really see her like she's not in like as far as I've seen. Maybe I'd have to go back and watch the episode, but she's not in the background, you know, in the school uniform going to class. Um, oh no, she does. She does show up in the classroom earlier in the episode. Um, oh, okay, I totally missed at that. At the then. end of the scene, there's a shot where she walks into the classroom. Okay. All right. I even, I, yeah, any- I even have it in my notes here. Anthe joins the class. Okay. So Okay, good. <laughs> now I'm like, I have to go back and see. Does anyone notice her? <laughs> Points um, to being a ghost. <laughs> uh, Utana definitely notices her. Okay. So- that means nothing, though. She's already been exposed to the ghost. <laughs> those are just ghost rules right like once you're exposed to the ghost you can always see the ghost (laughs) exactly (laughs) so uh so then we we get our first introduction to choo-choo and choo-choo is adorable and there's nothing bad to ever say about choo-choo and anyone who does say anything bad about (laughs) choo-choo i I will see you in the dueling arena Oh, thank God there's nothing. Thank God. Because I love him already. Best character already. I'm already attached. (laughs) And, like, the first thing we see is is Choo Choo choking on some food. And what does Utena do is show him kindness by offering some tea to wash it down. Yeah. And so here is this strange creature that looks vaguely mouse-like. But yes. definitely has more personality than an actual mouse. Like we saw, and like this is an important piece. In the prior shot, we saw how the show depicts an actual mouse. Yeah. And so we now know whatever Choo Choo is, he isn't a realistic mouse either. Mm-mm. No, he's somewhere between a mouse and like a little monkey. From right. the way that he like curls his tail to like the way that he acts he's somewhere in between there right for sure like like some kind of tiny primate kind of thing yeah exactly the world's and, tiniest monkey mouse <laughs> and anthe <laughs> describes choo-choo as her friend not her pet. yeah yeah that's a good point i didn't think about that so hmm. then they have their conversation about the rules and the rules being whoever wins the duel is engaged Anyone who wears the ring has to duel. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who is engaged to the Rose Bride has to fight to defend that engagement. And if you break the rules, you will disappear. Yeah. Uh, they just dropped that bombshell. Right? 
Like that comes they a little did. later. They, that comes that one comes a little later, but like those are the rules as they've been laid out so far. Um, yeah, it, they it's straight up basically just went. Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, they straight up just went. Yeah, anyone who opposes the school council disappears. Like, excuse me, what does that mean? Where are you? Just dis- is that what the forest is for? Are you disposing the bodies in the forest? Like, <laughs> what's happening? Where are the students? School council. Where did you put them all? Yeah. <laughs> is that what they did with all the adults? Like, we'll never know. Um, they're going to be in Nomura Hall. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. We will know later <laughs> episode. <laughs> so, um, so then Utena reveals like, okay, fine. She just won't fight. And if she does have to fight, she'll just purposely lose um, because she doesn't want to be, have any part of this. Um, this isn't her bag. Like all she was trying to do was stick up for this girl who was getting hit, and now she's in the middle of like this dueling bullshit. And, yeah, like she doesn't have time for it. She's like, I just want to be a student. I just want to be good at sports. Y'all can keep this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then then we have a shot of Toga and Sionji, and Sionji is big mad. He is sulking in a way that only boys can sulk. Truly. <laughs> He's he's got his sword out. Uh-huh. He's swinging his sword around. He's he's, all he's mad. being big time, <laughs> big time edgy boy. Like, <laughs> oh man! And then he brings up the exchange diary that he used to keep with Anthe, where she promised yeah. to love him forever. So, like, this dude was just, like, sitting at a table, like, handwriting down what they were saying to each other? Is that what I'm to believe here? No, 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 no. An exchange diary is where, like, it's one notebook, and one person writes in it, and then gives it to the other person, and then they write something back to them. Oh, my God. I thought he was just transcribing all their conversations. (laughs) No, like... It's an instant messenger before instant messengers were a thing. <laughs> Understandable. I mean, my friends and I had those in like middle school, but we didn't call them exchange diaries. So that's what really threw me off. <laughs> but yeah, it's that concept uh, of you have one notebook that you pass around and write back and forth to each other. I'm so glad you told me what that was because that had so many red flags and sirens going off in my head. I was like, Oh, it still should. It it still should. (laughs) I was like, what, what kind of diary is he keeping? Um, I'm concerned immediately. (laughs) (laughs) This edgy boy waving a sword around is saying he's keeping some sort of diary and is very upset. Um, I don't know about this one. So the other thing that we get from this is how possessive he is beyond yeah. just being like interested in Anthe and really liking Anthe or loving Anthe. He is super possessive of her twice now. He is refer- uh, probably more than twice, but in both episodes so far, he has referred to Anthe as his, like his property. Yeah. She belongs to him. Uh-huh. And and he feels that he is being deprived of something he has ownership of. Which is just wild. Like, what a wild and weird concept to think about other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's like, Sionji, oops, all misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Truly. Oh my gosh. It's very and easy. I like that the show makes it very easy to dislike him. Each of the different characters is going to have their own like problematic relationship to gender and gender roles, including mm-hmm. uh, including Anthe and Utena. Okay. Because like, there's an element to Utena's character too of like um, charging in and saving somebody as being this like idealized prince notion. Mm-hmm. Like she is doing for Anthe what, what that prince did for her in the woods or at the, the cemetery um, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, yeah. however long ago it was. So like each of the characters are going to have that problematic relationship with gender roles. Um, and it's going to get more clear. Yeah, it's going to it's going to get more clear over the course of the show. But like Sionji is not alone <laughs> in being a douche. He's just uh, he's just the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, those those type of uh, people usually never are alone. So that will be interesting to see. And also speaking of that, his relationship with the um, student council president is really interesting to me because it seems like, uh, and I, his name is escaping me right now. Is it Toga? Toga. 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 Um, seems totally fine with the way, like the outlook that Sionji has about Anthe. He's just totally co-signed it by not really trying to say anything uh, like untowards or, you know, make any kind of criticism about it. It just is to Toga. And he's just, he's just more kind of invested in the drama of everything, I think, (laughs) (laughs) which is also interesting, but I don't know, whatever. It's, it's almost like the um, mentality and behavior of like the ultimate, like rich kid in high school that's just bored and wants to see what what happens. Like, oh, this is new. Let's see what happens here. Oh, you have zeroed in on Toga's character perfectly <laughs> already. Um, he is the rich one. Um, oh, but, but also, um, yeah, like it's clear, like the class difference there, and the way that class plays out with Toga. And his attitude towards life. But on the like that point you made about co-signing it, um, that's a really important one because like if you think about it, Toga's the president of the student council. Whatever mm-hmm. this weird fucked up hierarchy is, he's at the top of it. Yeah. And so if he's questioning how Sionji is treating Anthe, let's say he wins the duel. At some point, let's say he beats uh, Utena or he beats Sionji. Like, let's say Sionji wins and Toga then beats Sionji. Um, if he questions how he is, how Sionji is treating Anthe, he then is exposing himself to being questioned when he's in control. Yeah. And like, that's a very key point about like class and class hierarchy. Where, like, if you're invested in the existence of the hierarchy, you'll defend the hierarchy even when it is doing something morally wrong. Because you're preserving the order that you're a part of rather than the moral standing of it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. But then it also calls into question why even have the roles of student council? You know, like why even have the roles within them, like president, vice president, et cetera? Why not just make it student council and then whoever has the, the uh, what, what is the actual role called? Rosebride is like the ruler of them. <laughs> I mean, because if that's where like the power lies, why even have a president? The school here is very much just like a gloss over the top of the setting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is paper thin. <laughs> we are lighting it on fire as we speak. <laughs> oh. Now we have the shadow girls. And this time the shadow girls show up as cowboys dueling in the Wild West. They are so great. <laughs> One of them shoots the other and they fall down and says, oh, don't worry. I lost on purpose. And then the moral that they give is losing might be harder than you think, which yeah. is echoing what uh, Utana said about she's just going to lose on purpose. Yeah. She wants out of this. Yeah, which... I mean, I even called it into question right then because of her, her, I mean, you said it earlier, her own behavior and like moral code of I have to charge in and help when people that I perceive need help need it. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm like, really, Utana, are you really going to be able to stay out of everybody's business? Really? <laughs> are you sure you're just going to be able to let things go? Because I don't think so. This whole idea of losing on purpose sounds good on paper, but then she's going to have to confront what is it that she's going to expose Anthe to if she loses. She's going to send Anthe back to to Sionji? Because, like, Anthe has made it clear she will follow the rules of this system, whatever it is. She will follow those rules without making a fuss about it. And if, right. and if Utena loses, she'll be back to Sionji. And uh, we had slap number three in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's her future if, if Utena throws the stool. Yeah, which she would, I mean, it would just be an endless cycle. So she had to, she had to win here. Otherwise, it would have just kept repeating. Like, what was Utena going to do if she lost? Like, she, uh, or she forfeited like she sees Sionji smack Anthe around again and then just right. has to stand there and watch it happen um so clearly this idea of yeah I'm just gonna lose on purpose we all know that she's like in her gut she's not gonna be able to to handle that <laughs> no <laughs> so uh then we move right to the duel and in in like our, our note-taking session, like we had talked about how uh, the student council has an elevator. <laughs> they sure do. Utena does not. <laughs> She's got to climb every one of those stairs like some new kid hazing. <laughs> like, bless her heart, seriously. Because Granted, she's getting it, a... <laughs> Go ahead. Granted, it gives us... A, a wonderful time to listen to a song that absolutely kicks. 
Oh, yeah. But, but she has got to be exhausted by the time she reaches the top of those stairs. Yeah. I mean, God, the poor girl's thighs have to be like on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we get to the top of the stairs. She reiterates once again, she still intends to lose. Uh, she draws the sword from, from Anthe. Uh, she repeats the words that, that Sionji said in the first episode, um, granting her the power to revolutionize the world. Uh, there, there's also like something really romantic <laughs> in, in a sense about like drawing the sword out of the heart of the person you're fighting for. Yeah. And Okay, so I need to go back and check, but was there a difference in how the sword was brought out between last episode and this one? Because I could have sworn last time uh, it was very much Sionji, like doing the full, like sweeping Anthe up in his arms and taking out the sword. This time it kind of seemed like Anthe initiated it, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, like, but she's like, the one that started the process, I thought, this time. Like, she initiated the whole, like, heart blinking and things like that. But, yeah, it is very, it's very romantic. It's like that uh, low sweep of, like, a slow dance move, you know? Yeah. And, like, the idea of, I am going to offer you my sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally from my heart. <laughs> yeah. And... It's going to be interesting, like, with the blocking on this, like, it's going to change as the show goes on, how that shot is blocked. Um, okay. It's one of the shots that they reuse. They've already reused it once. Um, mm -hmm. The only difference between the first episode and the second episode is um, the hair color and okay. some of the details on the uniform. It's a shot that they redid. Like they kept the blocking of all of the art identical. And then they just changed it slightly. So this time it's Utena instead of Sionji. And you'll notice in the first episode, when Sionji is drawing the sword, it doesn't really look like Sionji. And in this episode, mm -hmm. it doesn't really look like Utena either. It's kind of somewhere in between the two as one of the reused shots uh, on the show. Okay. Um, it's kind of like if you watch Disney, uh, Disney movies, like the classic Disney animations, you can see like reused walk cycles, reused dances. Mm -hmm. um, like, what is it? Uh, Baloo from Jungle Book and um, Little John from Robin Hood. They move oh. the exact same way because they are drawn as the same character, just in a different outfit. And the animation walk cycle is just completely reused from one movie to the other. Gotcha. <laughs> Interesting. Um, there's like, you can look it up on YouTube. Like there's a bunch of these where you can see Disney just completely reusing their animation from a prior movie. Um, That's and so cool. And this shot is one of those in this show, the, the drawing of the sword in the second arc, the so-called Black Rose Saga. Um, it's going to get changed up a little bit. But for the rest of this arc, it's just going to be a reused shot. Okay. One other thing to talk about with the duels. Every duel, and now that we've got two of them, we can see how it is. Every duel has a different song. Oh. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't. I noticed there was a lot of talk about the Paleozoic era or something like that. But yeah. 
Yes. This <laughs> this is a song called Paleozoic Within the Body. And oh. so the the composer for the dual songs, J.A. Caesar, mm-hmm. he is famous for experimental theater and so um in experimental music. Okay. <laughs> and it's kind of a joke uh within the fandom that um it's it's word salad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wondered about that because I was like, there's a lot happening, but I feel like I should pay attention to the duel, maybe, and maybe not <laughs> what we're what the lyrics are talking about. <laughs> and and like it's word salad, but only to a limit. Like the songs mm-hmm. still have a theme or like a concept that they are about. And so like this one is all about evolution. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, if there's some dots to connect there between um, the character of Sionji and the concept of evolution or, like, the duel itself, like, how that works. Um, I sometimes feel like smarter people than me have figured this out. I have not <laughs> figured out what the link there is. <laughs> well, it could maybe be the evolution of Utena herself because... We see uh, I, what I assume to be the spirit of Dios come down and possess her, kind of, or at least merge into one, uh, which there's a lot to unpack there. We'll get to that in a sec. But <laughs> <laughs> um, she's she finishes her first duel with, like, the sword of Dios, like the power of Dios. And this time it's like, I don't know, the first one was kind of like, she did it with the wooden sword or the broken sword, uh, rather. And this time was the actual sword of Dios. So, and them, them talking about, I don't know, it seemed like that may have been the first time that that happened. Because earlier in, um, like, minutes earlier, Sionji talks about oh, there's no power in the sword. It's all in the swordsmanship. And we don't really know if Utena has any swordsmanship at all, like skill in her at all. I mean, she we've seen her play basketball, but <laughs> I don't really yeah. know that she has any swordsmanship skills. So I almost wonder if the evolution is, it could be speaking to something larger than her, but also just the beginning of her evolution. Potentially, yeah. I, I can see that. I like that reading of it. Thanks. And so, um, so in the duel itself, she guards the rose with her hand and not the sword. So, like, I think this answers your question about her skill level. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, she definitely could have lost a hand. Why were you not more concerned? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and if you were going to lose the duel, why wouldn't you just, like, let it get cut there? Right. Like, she doesn't just stand there and forfeit. She fights back. She defends herself from the start. And yeah. it's like, where was all that big talk about losing? Because mm-hmm. she could have just stood there. She could have just been like, all right, here I am. I have my sword in my hand. Go ahead, cut the, cut the rose off. Uh-huh. Um, and instead, she deflects and deflects and deflects. And again, shows that that inherent nobility within her. Uh, she can't just lose if he beats her that's one thing but she can't just lose Mm -mm. and instead 
we have that moment that you were just talking about. Dios descends and it censors it with a spinning rose, which on this show <laughs> somehow makes it more sexual than it should be. <laughs> right. Like, why did they even need to censor that out? It could have just been like, I don't know, like a ghost going into the body. Why did it need to be censored? What happened there? Right. <laughs> now, I, now I almost want to go look in the manga and see if there's like a giant white rose over where like he, <laughs> you know, in the manga. <laughs> you see like a, a character standing naked in the doorway with a, a spinning rose over their genitals. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah that that part <laughs> i don't understand why the white rose censorship was necessary there and i don't understand why it was necessary uh in like the finishing blow shot either but yeah continue <laughs> yeah no the finishing blow is what i was gonna gonna talk about um she cuts through his sword which mirrors the way that he cut through hers in the first episode. Yeah. Like, like it is showing that the sword of Dios is to a regular katana, what a katana is to a boken. Like, which is crazy. <laughs> it just cut through that thing. Like it was nothing. Yeah. And so we now have like that mirroring from the first duel to the second and once again, Utana emerges victorious um, with the power of Dios. And then we have our epilogue, Anthe and, and, and Utana having dessert. And and choo-choo. Yeah, and choo-choo. Um, Anthe calls <laughs> her out on it. She says, I thought you were going to lose. And uh -huh. uh, Utana, who cannot admit to her feelings yet, says, I didn't do it for you. I did it for choo-choo. Because Sionji mm -hmm. would have beat up choo-choo. Yeah, which is just a giant metaphor for Sionji would have beat you up, so I couldn't let that happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we have at the, the very last shot of the episode is this long shot on Anthe's face, and she shows just a sliver of emotion. She smiles yeah. just a tiny bit at the thought that Utana cares about her and Choo Choo. Mm -hmm. And like, almost like it's for the first time she sees someone who cares about her for her and not her value as the Rose Bride. Yeah. So and going back really quick, sorry. Yeah. Going, going back really quick to the power of Dios. So is this something that the student council have never been exposed to before they've never channeled themselves in the duels when they've used that sword presumably not like okay the way that toga responds to seeing it happen the way that sionji responds to seeing it happen this is the first time they're seeing dios intervene in a duel okay but they, like they know what it is but it is shocking to them that it's appearing for this girl yeah okay and then also at the very end again, I just think it's interesting that everyone else calls Anthe either Anthe or the Rose Bride. Uh, they don't actually call her by uh, what would be traditional uh, in Japanese culture, which is like their last name. Uh, and Utena is the only one that does that. She's the only one that calls her Himamiya, which is so interesting because like that's the sign of respect. Whereas saying like a, a first name 
would be more of like an indicator of closeness or um, closeness and informality, like dropping formality. But yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me. I think so far, Sionji is the only one that's called her Anthe. And even then it's like here and there, he mostly calls her the bride and sees like her as property, like we've talked about. But I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that. But again, it, for me, it just for, further reinforces that like, Utena sees her as a person <laughs> as yeah. opposed to the role. I don't think so, you're reading too much into that at all. Okay. It's fascinating. Okay. So next time on Utena, what do you think is going to happen? What's your prediction for the show? <sighs> okay. So next time we have this like ball of some sort which of course we do because we have we're in some sort of like ritzy not school non-school um <laughs> we have to have a ball we have to have a ball episode of course this is a school with a ballroom and not just like a gymnasium that they turn into a ballroom <laughs> right of course i mean come on they have a whole private forest in the back so um yeah i utana seemed to want anthe to go to make friends I don't foresee that happening only because she seems like such a loner and an outcast in the school already. Anytime we see her with someone, she's mostly in sh whenever she's framed in shots, she's either been by herself or in the context of being with another council member or being the Rose bride being fought over. Um, so I, I, you know, I understand where Utain is coming from. Like, Homegirl definitely needs some friends, but I don't know that she'll really get them at this at this point. Maybe this might be the the wrong, not quite the right venue <laughs> for yeah. it yet. But at the same time, it shows that uh, Utena is invested in Anthe's growth as a person. Yeah, like she recognizes yeah, I mean, that that Anthe's isolation is a problem. Yeah, and I don't think you know, Sionji would, he would take her to the ball, but it would just be so that they could be seen together and that he could have a good time. You know, it wouldn't be for her benefit at all. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, then we shall see how it turns out next time. Yeah. More shenanigans will ensue. I just know it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So where can folks find us? So I am at CarCutie on pretty much everything. That's K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. -E -E. Um, you can find me streaming on Twitch under that username. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and I have a TikTok under that as well. And then Autumn. Uh, I am Life in Neon on Twitter and on Twitch. And for the podcast itself, you can send in your questions and comments to absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com uh, autumn will be screening that one to keep it spoiler free for me and we also have our twitter account which is zetai unme pod so send in any tweets that you have there too